A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. On this episode, I speak with Bonnie Greenwell, a transpersonal psychotherapist and non-dual teacher in the lineage of Adyashanti, who has written extensively on the topic of Kundalini awakening and counseled thousands of people over the past 30 years. Before we get to that, I want to mention that this episode is brought to you by Jeff Brown and my patrons, Adrian, Allison, Andrea, Heather, Jennifer, Jeremy, Joshua, Carrie Ann, Linnea, Linda, Marlene, Pamela, Peter, Rebecca, Robin, Ryan, and Tucker. Thanks so much for your support, guys. I couldn't do this without you. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, you can leave a review on iTunes, offer a one-time donation via PayPal, or become a patron and gain access to hours of yoga practice resources and podcast extras. Speaking of extras, tomorrow I'll be hosting the first weekly online video call for yoga practitioners, teachers, and other cosmonauts to get together and talk about what's coming up for them as they navigate their medicine path. My wife Debbie will be there to talk about what's happening astrologically, and I'll be there to answer any questions you might have about yoga, psychedelics, relationships, or anything else I cover on this podcast. 
You can tune in by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Brian James Teaching. I'll also be posting a podcast extra for this episode where I get into Kundalini in a little more detail, specifically about the correlation between Kundalini awakening and psychology and the current misconceptions that I hear a lot about Kundalini yoga, mostly based on the popularity of a certain brand of yoga created by Yogi Bhajan. I also want to mention that I've started posting videos of live yoga classes on my Patreon site. I'll be putting up two a week for now and plan to continue regular posting when I get back from my retreat in Peru. And you can find out more about all of that at medicinepathpodcast.com. Okay, thanks for listening to all that. Now, please sit back and enjoy my conversation with Bonnie Greenwell on The Medicine Path. So I'm here speaking with Bonnie Greenwell, who is a transpersonal psychotherapist, author, and non-dual spiritual teacher in Adyashanti's lineage. For more than 30 years, Bonnie specialized in mentoring people going through transformative experiences related to spiritual awakening and kundalini. And her latest book, which I have here, is called When Spirit Leaps, Navigating the Process of Spiritual Awakening. Well, welcome to the podcast, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. Thanks a lot, Brian. I'm glad to be here. Mm. Well, Kundalini is a really interesting topic for me. It's something I've been interested in for quite some time. And something that I'm not sure that I'm completely clear on in my own understanding. And I think that's something that I'd like to unpack uh, through the process of the interview but I thought it would be really helpful if you talked about when you first started to become interested in Kundalini. Well, it was back when I was getting my doctorate at the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. Um, I had been a meditator for about 15 years and uh, had had exposure to um, both Zen and, and uh, Indian meditation traditions. Um, but uh during the time I was at ITP, I met uh, Gay Hendricks, who at the time was working with energy and breath work, and he had developed a process he called Radiance Breath Work. And uh, when I saw him work for the first time, I really understood the connection between energy and spiritual experience or spirituality, spiritual awakening. And so um, I went to Gay and asked him to work with me to open me up more to spiritual experience. And uh, during the breathwork sessions that I did with him, um, I activated kundalini energy. I had a, an understanding, a little bit of an understanding of it, um, because I was in an environment where there were a few people around who, who were familiar with it. So it didn't frighten me, and it was extremely ecstatic for quite a long while and um, deepened my meditation practice. Uh, what happened is I was sitting in a classroom and after a session with Gay and my body just started this um, ripples of energy moving up uh, very rhythmatically over and over and over all the way through my system and until I was kind of 
out of it and uh, wandered into a little meditation room and sat for a few hours. And uh, after that, I had a lot of energy releases for many months. And it was time for me to write my doctoral dissertation. So uh, there wasn't really much else I could think about. So I decided uh, I was having a pretty positive experience with it. But I was running into people at Esalen and at ITP who had had more difficulties. So I thought that I would focus on what's the difference between someone that's having a pretty good experience with it and somebody who's um, really having a struggle with it. And that was the theme of my doctoral research and began my work. I didn't know it was going to end up being an entire career. But what happened is at the time I published my dissertation, um, and was uh, turning it into a book, my first book, which was called Energies of Transformation. Um, at that time, I just um, found that uh, there was a, a lot more interest in the topic. There was a conference being offered at the time by the Spiritual Emergence Network on Kundalini. It just launched me into this kind of work. And ever since then, uh, I've been working with people all over the world who call me for consultations about challenges they're having in their process. Uh, for the first 10 years, there wasn't any internet. So we were finding one another through word of mouth primarily. Um, and at the time, also a group of us that, that met at the Kundalini Conference founded a, an organization called the Kundalini Research Network. And we did that for about 10 years, had conferences in two or three places in the world and, uh, and uh, worked with one another to educate people about the experience. But uh, I'm not active in that anymore. I don't know if the organization's even functioning now. I'm interested in knowing just a little bit more about that initial experience. So this radiance breathwork, uh, what does that look like? What kind of uh, breathwork is it? Well, it's not available anymore. I mean, Gay's not doing it anymore. Um, it's a lot like Stan Groff's work, except it's more individual, a one-on-one -on -one work with a therapist, and they work with your body while you do the deep breathing, and you may adjust the breathing from time to time. I also worked with Stan Groff for a number of years and, and uh, learned his breathwork process. So I've been very fortunate in that I've had a real cross-section of connection with people who have unusual or non-ordinary expansive experiences. Uh, many of those happened through breath work. I saw a lot of people have openings doing the uh, uh, psychotropic types of breathing processes that Gay developed, I mean, that uh, Stan Groff developed. And um, I've also worked with a number of uh, Indian teachers uh, gone to India a couple of times really wanted to understand the classical perspective of Kundalini um, and I've trained some also in um, Jin Shin Do which is a form of acupressure and uh, learned a little more about the uh, Chinese uh, perspective of energy rising too mm. I guess one of the things for me in my exploration of Kundalini as a yoga practitioner who is also a Westerner is I find myself always trying to reconcile my Western mind with my more intuitive feeling about Kundalini. 
<clears throat> and thinking about Kundalini in, in sometimes two ways, fully accepting that there may be some sort of energy that's lying dormant and when awake and catalyzes a psycho-spiritual transformation or evolutionary process. Um, kind of having faith in that based on the amount of uh, history that is behind Kundalini, but also a part of me wants to understand it in more psychological terms. And I guess I'm always trying to, to hold these two ways of thinking about it at the same time. And you being a psychotherapist and a practitioner who's had Kundalini experiences, do you think that when the psychology is talking about, um, you know, like a psychological maturation process, uh, a shedding of conditioning and the personality construct and things like that. Do you think they're describing the same thing as what the yogis were describing when they were talking about this serpent energy rising up and piercing the grantis, the knots and the chakras to release old patterns? Well, I don't think that most psychotherapy is is doing the same work that kundalini does i think that most psychotherapy in the west is about uh, really letting go uh, which kundalini is about that too about letting go of the old patterns that uh, keep you from being fully functioning but there's also uh, kind of an emphasis on um, developing a, a more strong ego structure, um, more capacity in the world, uh, fitting in more in the way that you wish in the world. Um, I believe also, though, that kundalini is a, a psychological process as well as a um, spiritual one. Uh, in my observation, and I've worked with maybe you know three thousand people or so over the years, I see it as a deconstruction, as a transformation that happens as we let go of a lot of our identifications. Uh, we, we're letting go of patterns too, but it's like it forces us to face uh, many of the unconscious patterns. It, uh, If we don't, we're going to feel terrible. I mean, it, we, we have a choice, but if we want to norm, uh, harmonize our energy, it's, we're consistently being invited to let go of some identification, some place that we're stuck. The energy moves up through the chakras, as they say, and uh, releases or brings up to the surface a lot of unconscious material. The difference is in a spiritual awakening as it matures, we become less and less identified with our personal self. It feels much more like an impersonal process, something that's... Um, letting go to pure consciousness, having more presence in our lives, more openness, more, um, it's like learning to live from more of a still point and a presence and in the moment. And often psychotherapy doesn't go to that level because uh, most psychotherapists would be quite alarmed if a person and felt they'd had a loss of self. Um, there's a, 
And in fact, many people who have spiritual awakenings and Kundalini awakenings uh, are misdiagnosed uh, seriously in psychotherapy session um, settings because uh, the therapist is alarmed when they say uh, the things they do, like, I don't exist or I'm connected with everything. There's just oneness that a lot of traditional therapy doesn't value the a kind of profound depth of opening that can happen in a kundalini uh, process or an awakening process. Not all kundalini processes mature into awakening. And many people have awakenings and very subtle kundalini energy arises later. So there's not a perfect correlation that if you awaken kundalini, you're going to have um you're going to become self-realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think maybe that's some of the tendency that I see in the modern world when people are speaking about kundalini or the chakras <clears throat> is that it seems like maybe the Western approach is to engage with it in a very kind of linear process. Uh, you know, it's like let's work on the lower chakras and, and move our self up and I find it's uh, very directive, and and I'm not sure. In my experience, it feels more of like a uh, a nonlinear. I won't say chaotic, but <clears throat> a nonlinear process, and one that I'm not sure that I can actually guide in any directive mm-hmm. way. And so for me, it's it's a my approach has been to to do the practices that help me feel more embodied, more in tune with my own energy system, um, to find a, a state of, uh, you know, mental and emotional stability and ease, and then to trust that any process that is unfolding is guided by some greater intelligence than I can even comprehend. And I guess that's where I've struggled a little bit with it is that, it's kind of incomprehensible to me. And, um, you know, I've read a lot of books about Kundalini trying to understand it. And there's so many different descriptions of the process and even some, some maps that uh, there's discrepancies within the, the different maps of the chakras or even the description of Kundalini itself. You'll find many different descriptions of it. Um, and so I'm wondering if that is just, uh, you know, the differences are because different people are having those experiences and experiencing them in slightly different ways. And I guess for me, I don't want to get too hung up on any one particular model or description and and trust that uh, this process is guided by some greater intelligence. I don't know. I think that's a wise perspective. I think that's a a useful way to hold it. Um, There are... uh, different perspectives even within the yogic tradition. And there's also a Chagung experience called the Chagung crisis that appears to be a Kundalini activation. Um, I've used the yogic model because it's the most comprehensive in exploring what Kundalini is. Um, But um, I think of it as, and they do too, they call it the life force. And their idea, the idea in yoga uh, is that uh, when you were conceived, energy came into the 
egg and created the fetus, the baby, and when your body was fully grown, the residual energy coils at the base of the spine, and it holds our normal energy field, our pranic field or chi field in harmony and balance until we die, and then it unravels and leaves the body. If you've ever been with somebody who's passing, you can really experience that. You can see their energies just leaving their body along with consciousness. Energy and consciousness are intimately interconnected. So the energy um, can activate, as you're mentioning, in different ways, but usually it activates from the base of the spine. Some people experience it from the feet or lower down. Some people experience a downward flow of energy. In the Aurobindo tradition, uh, the practices are geared toward opening up and experiencing a downward flow that seems to be able to activate the kundalini in the personal body, sort of like connecting the cosmic energy with the uh, human body energy. The uh, Many people have heart openings that are very intense, and some people would label that a kundalini opening. I would think of it more as a, a heart opening when you just feel this massive, expansive opening of the heart. Um, consciousness, on the other hand, has many other kinds of experiences. You might experience consciousness more as an experience of the head, kind of an energy expanding before you experience the kundalini opening in the body. So there's many different ways. Um, but for my purposes, what I generally do is if somebody can describe an initial experience where there was a rush of energy through their body, and after that, everything felt a little different, uh, that's kind of an initiating event. And then I look for different kinds of phenomena that are characteristic of kundalini that will occur afterwards. So not everyone has every experience, but... Uh, usually there's a psychological impact where your emotions kind of become erratic or you uh, may um, feel a sense of uh, you lose your drive, you lose your, your sense of being on top of things, you're just kind of overwhelmed. There's uh, physical issues, your body may wake up at night or you in the nighttime, you may not be able to sleep because your body starts shaking or vibrating or going into spontaneous movements. Uh, there's psychic experiences that some people have, not everyone. Um, so there's a whole range of phenomena that will happen for months and even years after an initial awakening. And depending on your background and how you awakened, you may be frightened by all of this, or you may be comfortable with it. It kind of depends on the personality style, your, how congruent your life is with your values, um, with what you really is meaningful to you. Um, there's a lot of different factors that impact how smoothly this process goes. But it's very much tremendously variable from one person to the next. Mm. And. Um, that's the advantage I've had because I've listened to so many people and the, the books you read are usually either from one tradition or one person's experience and that's why you see such a um, limited perspective sometimes from one particular uh, story of Kundalini hmm. and how are you able to distinguish uh, a, a neuroses like anxiety or something like that 
from a Kundalini experience, or is there any difference? Is one, is it just a matter of uh, your perspective? Because someone could be going through some psychological distress and it may appear like some of the symptoms that you just spoke of. And so is there a way to distinguish between what's going on or is there even a difference? Well, I, I think there's a big difference. Uh, usually there's an initiating event, and usually there's something in the history of the person that would suggest a spiritual awakening, uh, where you can be very anxious, uh, worried, upset, um, irregardless. You don't certainly don't need kundalini energy activated for that. Um, so I would look at, I'll look for an initiating event. I look for the history. Of the, there are certain factors that tend to trigger kundalini. Uh, one of them is a meditation practice, a sincere meditation practice, a longing to know God or longing for truth. Uh, one of them is um, a near-death experience or a severe injury can trigger the activation of the energy. Um Extreme stress can do that. Sometimes the use of uh, psychedelics or uh, other substances, but there'll be an energetic shift, something dramatic, and you, and then it doesn't go away. You you keep feeling this vibration or energy or movement. Um, it if you're anxious about that, um, that's that's one thing. If you've been carrying. Anxiety often comes up because it's scary, because you feel out of control, because you feel like your body is doing things that, is, that aren't normal, and therefore something must be wrong with you. So one of the most important things in this process is for people to get a spiritual context for it and to understand that it's really about a transformation, a, a letting go of releasing, releasing blocks, releasing um, psychological blockages, perspectives, points of view that are not um, not true or not that are based on our conditioning that are kind of um, absorbed in our energy field, woven into our energy field. Kundalini is trying to open up our energy field so that it becomes extremely open so that if you reach a place where you really understand that you are connected to everything that you were this vast consciousness, you're able to bring that down and live in your body from a different perspective, from a more sense of, of contentment and peace in the world and a response that doesn't come out of um, conditioning that's not reactive, that's more in the moment what's needed. So it, it brings you into a whole different way of being uh, where normally psychological issues uh, that's that's not really what's going to happen. You're going to have to work quite a bit psychologically if you've had, if you're just somebody that carries a lot of anxiety or uh, depression or or uh, deep emotional uh, contractions of some sort. Um, you can work on that and make tremendous strides in making your life more functional without opening Kundalini at all. Now. This brings up something for me because um, my primary teacher, he he would often say that fundamentally there's no there's no problem with you, that you are perfect, 
and that the problem is created by the mind mm -hmm. trying to uh, get somewhere mm -hmm. without realizing that you are already there, that you already are perfect. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I actually, I, I left him is because I saw in that a, a kind of spiritual bypassing it was like a get out of jail free card. Like just do your practice and Shakti will take care of everything. And any attempt by you to uh, transform yourself psychologically is just creating more problems. And so <laughs> I'm wondering what your views on that are, because on one hand mm -hmm. we're talking about um, like where we might engage uh, a psychotherapist to look at our problems, to look at the patterns in our lives, to hopefully get to the root of those patterns. And then, like you said, do work to help release those patterns. So it's kind of like engaging psychologically with our neuroses. And on the other hand, just let Kundalini uh, take care of things, you know, and do practices mm -hmm. that support that. And don't really worry about transforming yourself because Kundalini's got you <laughs> or something. <you> know? <laughs> Well, yeah, that's a, a kind of a misunderstanding. I, I don't think that that we are perfect, or anyone is perfect, even a fully awakened person. But we are um, our pure consciousness. The idea, I think, one of the things is that people are confused between what it is to wake up and what it is to have mystical experiences and vast, open experiences of consciousness. In in yoga or Buddhism, the idea of waking up is that consciousness itself wakes up and that this consciousness that is in your body and in mine and everybody else's is like the um, primal substance of life and it's whole, it's perfect, it's untouched by all the conditioning that you've experienced and that waking up is that waking up and sort of realizing I am that, you see that phrase a lot, I am that, uh, as uh, Mr. Tagata said. It's like an acknowledgement in those in the Eastern lineages that the, the source of us that we're rooted to, where we came from, uh, is already whole. It's like this vast potentiality that contains everything. And that the little me and the mind is caught in the conditioned beliefs about who we are. So you believe you, you came into the body as an infant completely open other than you had some DNA that, that was going to color your the way you functioned in a bit. But you were then given a label of a name and a race and a country and a uh, identity where all these identifications were added on, kind of like post-its put on an open space. Waking up is remembering yourself as that open space, remembering yourself to be that. So when a teacher says something like, you're already whole or you're already perfect, what they're pointing to is your essence, that that's already whole and perfect. But my observation is, and I think one of the reasons this process was reasonably comfortable for me, was I'd had a lot of years of therapy before it happened. Mm. Um, if there's any trauma in your history, if there's any uh, dysfunction in your life, um, 
therapy is very helpful prior to an awakening because you have a healthier system. You have more balance already, and you've kind of learned to look at your foibles and your issues without being too alarmed about it and, and to work on them. Because when Kundalini activates, everything that's unfinished is going to come up to the surface. And yogis don't, you know, many yogis realize that, but you have to remember in the old tradition that people in traditional ashram settings were under a lot more control and and conditions and back had a much more uh, harmonious background than people in the West today who are trying to open up their potential for spiritual awakening. Um, and today in the West, we're coming with a whole bag of psychological issues, conditions, uh, tremendous pressure to make a living, um, and many other dynamics that just um, require us to take care of ourselves uh, in a more direct way than whether than whether we would be living in, say, a hundred years ago in an Indian ashram, completely. Um, offering service to our teacher it's a whole different model today and different people different needs and i think uh, the more that we have um, some psychological insight and uh, the healthier we are uh, the, the healthier our ego in a way the um, easier it is then for us to navigate a spiritual awakening process when it happens mm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, it's like our, our modern lives require us to be much more engaged in the material world. Um, and I, I think there is something different about the Western mind, you know? And like, I think um, Western people want things explained in a more material way, whether we're talking about how the brain works or in now somatic psychology where people are talking about how trauma is held in the body mm -hmm. it's kind of like they're always skirting around talking about energy and everyone's afraid to talk about energy <laughs> <laughs> you know well, like, West, yeah, we're very naive about it yes yeah but do you feel like that there's a resistance to for for psychologists or psychotherapists to just talk about energy Yes, it's not in the paradigm of the medical profession um, in the West, uh, where it is in the Eastern, in Ayurveda and in Chinese medicine, energy is an important factor. But in the Western medicine, that's been kind of neglected. Also, in spiritual, uh, because of the... Uh, um, the system we, the spiritually that we've been raised in, the Christian model, uh, has really tried to discount the body and considered spirituality to be something kind of above the body. And if you're raised in a Christian system, you don't, um, there's no thought about the correlation between your energy field uh, and spiritual awakening and yet that's understood a lot better in the east that that uh, we are energy bodies we're vibrational systems we're a pile of molecules and uh, i think it's just beginning to be considered 
in science in the West, uh, the correlation between energy and consciousness and universal energies and universal consciousness. I noticed in your book that you you recommend kind of a wide variety of practices taken from uh, different traditions. And I'm wondering, is there a certain type of practice that you recommend to people to uh, help make the Kundalini experience more easy and comfortable to, to support that? Like, are there common things in the different practices that you uh, suggest to people? Well, it depends entirely on what the issues are they bring to me and what their history is. So uh, the, the basic working with the breath is very common in many practices. Uh, learning to uh, center yourself uh, down in the center of your body to um, breathe down into the belly is very helpful for calming things down usually. But it there's so many different kinds of problems. Some people, uh, for example, if you have a lot of trauma in your history, you're likely to have a lot more intense energy releasing and a lot more emotional stuff arising. So in that case, I often tell people you need to go and work with a therapist around this trauma, around your PTSD or your childhood abuse, that therapist doesn't even have to understand Kundalini, but you need to get that out of your system and heal that part of yourself. So, you know, if that's the dynamic, that would be helpful. Uh, some people need to stop doing intense practices because they're over, they've overwhelmed their nervous system. So they've been doing perhaps Kundalini yoga. Maybe they're a Kundalini yoga teacher. So they're doing this intense breathing practice every single day and uh, they've overcharged their field and so at night they can't sleep and their body's shaking and they're they're feeling um, contractions or where they're stuck places so they they often need to really calm down their system some people have started this activation through the use of substances or accidentally they don't have any spiritual orientation so they need a very simple form of meditation and they need to have the the understanding of what spiritual awakening is its potential and the fact that their own life force has activated and is wanting to bring them to a different kind of consciousness a different level of understanding reality and that it does this by clearing out a lot of the old patterns and sometimes just understanding that it's spiritual and really embracing that and becoming friends with the energy becoming you, you can't as you've mentioned you know you're, you're not in control of it but you can have a positive relationship with it where you you talk to it, you give in to it when it wants to do what it does. You ask it to let not bother you so much when you're driving. There's a lot of things you can do to, um, to be that, that you're really tuning into your own life force. Another thing that's really important is being authentic. And if you're living a life that's not authentic for you, you're doing stuff because you think you ought to or because... Um, your family told you this is what your career should be, you may need to look really seriously at your deepest intuitive knowing of what's right for you. 
and you have to get in alignment with that, or the energy is going to continue to be disruptive, um, or you might even get ill. Uh, it's it's almost a demand that we become authentically true to our gut level sense of what's right for us, uh, and that we align our life in a, in a new way. It's it's about transformation. And that means a lot of things may need to change, but it you know varies greatly from one person to the next. Many people feel they have to stop using uh, drugs or alcohol, that they have to have a more clean system. Many people give up eating meat or at least red meat. Not everybody. Uh, if you're in a toxic relationship, you probably are going to feel much worse. Your energy is going to go crazy every time you have an encounter of that sort. So you may need to make some changes there. So you can see there's you can't really put a one-on-one -on -one correlation. You really have to look at what's happening to you and, and what was going on before. Were you taking good care of yourself before? Did you have self-respect before? Do you... Um, have a harmonious life in terms of the people you hang out with. All of those issues are really important. Hmm. I think that's really great advice. And I guess um, for me, when I think about how my practice serves this awakening and unfolding process, one of the main things that it does is sensitizes me to what's going on in my body and in doing that, I'm guided by that. And it's if I think about it this way, that it's putting me in touch with my life force and my life force wants certain things. It wants me to be healthy and free and at ease in my relationships and in the world. And when I'm sensitized to that, I'm just guided in my actions, what kind of food I eat, what kind of relationships I get involved in, uh, what kind of movies I watch. And it's really, if I don't know, it feels very, um, it feels very good to be in touch with that. It feels like I'm being guided by something that I can trust that's within me and that has my best interests in mind. You're absolutely right. That's really the best advice. You you need to listen intuitively to what's really authentic and right for you, and it can change day to day. Uh, so you have to pay attention, and it's really um, having a great respect for your deepest truth uh, that helps greatly in this process, helps it to uh, become more harmonized. So I guess one of your recommend your recommendation is not necessarily a particular mode of practice, but to engage in any number of different practices that that resonate with you, uh, but that do put you in touch with this life energy that is trying to open and expand so that you can live to your fullest potential and and shuck off all the and limiting constraints that have been put on us from the time we were little babies. That's a, that's a great way of saying it. Um, sometimes it depends too so much on your body and what kind of a 
lifestyle you've had. So for some people, for example, if you're kind of rigid and you're more of an intellectual type of person and you haven't really lived in your body very much, movement practices can be very helpful like qigong or tai chi or yoga because they're designed to help you get more in touch with your body. And so can breathing practices, breathing the breath down into the body. Um, if you've been uh, uh, over overly zealous in your meditation and you do a third eye type of meditation where you're concentrating on the third eye, you might have a lot of headaches, intense, intense feelings in your head. So then you may need a practice where you stop doing that focusing and you bring the energy down into the heart or down into the belly and you just do a very simple uh quiet kind of meditation or you even walk in nature with your eyes open and just focus on being present here and now with your body so it depends you really have to look at uh, how you've been living and what might be missing uh, or what might be a compliment uh, that can uh, help you live more fully in your body uh, with the energy with the consciousness changes that are happening uh, during this process. Very important to open the heart. Um, otherwise, you can have an awakening in which you're kind of out of your body or just sort of floating around with this uh, kind of a superior feeling that you don't have to be engaged in the world. Uh, it's letting the energy come down into the heart that allows you to embody uh, the truth of what you've experienced, what you've seen, that's that uh, to bring it into the world in a more congruent way. Um, and, right. I think about the heart as where yeah. we relate to others in the world. Mm -hmm. And so bringing the awakening into a relational context. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's those it's the relational contexts that push us into our growing edges as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think not going into that space is, um, is not serving the fullness of our life, for sure. And it, because it is so uncomfortable and illuminates so much of our wounding, that that could be a really difficult thing for people to do. And I think that's mm -hmm. kind of the essence of spiritual bypassing. Mm -hmm. is to get up and out as quickly as possible so you don't have to deal with all the messy relational stuff. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are motivated to the spiritual search because they want to escape the world. and uh, Rightfully so, in some ways. Yeah, you know? yeah, one can relate to that. It's certainly a lot of uncomfortable things in the world. But ultimately, waking up is about wholeness. And you really can't take out the dark side of the world and uh, hand it over to somebody else. It's not, um, that's not wholeness. That's uh, only being half awake. Uh, so somehow deep inside of us, we have to find that center point of presence that is uh, willing and becomes gradually capable of holding the whole picture. Um, and when still having peace, because otherwise there'll never be peace in the world. You know, we have to bring it through ourselves. And so it's this whole process. We, you discover the, the more 
clearly you wake up that this process is not personal. It it has a personal impact. One of the things Ajashanti has said is that once you clear yourself up, you've still got the rest of the world to deal with. And uh, in a way, we're we're not waking up for ourselves and our own opportunity to feel wonderful. We're waking up so that uh, we can bring real truth and peace into our lives and into our interactions in the world. Mm. You mentioned Adyashanti, and I'm I'm interested in that uh, to hear about your relationship with him because when I don't know a whole lot about him. But I don't immediately think about uh, like Hatha Yoga, Tantra, and Kundalini when I think about Ajishanti. He's he's known as a non-dual teacher, and I'm wondering if you could maybe define what that is uh, sure. to to be a non-dual teacher. I met Ajay about uh, 18 years ago when he was quite young and was still was had been just teaching a couple of years. Uh, he woke up in the Zen Buddhist tradition. Uh, he was very intense, intense meditator from the time he was about 18. Had a little hut in his backyard where he would sit for hours. He was also a competitive bicycle rider. And uh, at one point, he he became quite ill and he had to give up the bike racing. And and he realized that that, that identity was falling away. Um a non-dual teacher is somebody that is teaching you how to wake up. They're, he says he's a one-trick pony. That's his goal, is to help you wake up. In a way, a non-dual teacher looks it's sort of like your teacher was saying you're already perfect. They see the part of you that's already awake and that you just don't know it yet. And that awakeness is this uh, still point of pure consciousness that is connected to the source, to the the radiant source of all life. Um, so in the Buddhist traditions, uh, the emphasis is much more on consciousness, on meditation, on uh, practices that shift your self-awareness, shift your identity, so that your, your identifications with your personal self kind of collapse and you recognize what what you truly are and that's what the meditation practices are aimed at ultimately but um non-dual teachers are also part of advaita advaita is a non-dual teaching in india um and those practices would have the same goal however aja did have a very dramatic uh energetic release uh at the time of his own awakening and he thought it would kill him but he was so attached to this idea of awakening that he just said i give up i i don't care if it kills me and he just let the energy pour through him and and it brought about a lot of uh, transformation after that he continued he, he had a little voice that kept saying keep sitting you're not finished and he stayed with that for a number of years so he's had uh, he didn't know about kundalini because it's never mentioned in the zen buddhist tradition many people i talk to have had awakenings in um classical traditions like that and the teachers are very alarmed because it's not part of their lineage and they don't know what to do with it and they think that you you have done something wrong or you have some kind of psychological issue or they may accept it but they think you're disturbing everybody else because there's so much shaking going on in the meditation hall so they get asked to leave and it's very traumatic 
part of my work has been to try to get to these kinds of teachers so they know that this is part of a, an awakening process very often and um, that they can be more compassionate and hold it for a person. But so non-duality has traditionally not acknowledged um, the kundalini aspect and it's con considered kind of a, um, I don't know, an indulgence perhaps. But for me, because I had worked with kundalini for so many years before I met Adya, and then I started seeing people wake up in his retreats first in the yoga tradition, the idea is you have to open kundalini in order to have an awakening, but that's really not true. You can have the awakening first, or you can have it simultaneously with kundalini arising. And I'd have seen many people who had dramatic shifts of consciousness, and then the energies came up later. And, and does its clearing work, because it's a clearing process that wants to happen so that you can embody this great understanding of truth that you have glimpsed or experienced. And an awakening is not a one-time thing. It's a, it, the initial awakening, of course, you never go back, you never forget it, but your life often comes right back to hit you in the face with all of the unfinished business. Uh, and that's when the kundalini has to um, activate. It can take a number of years before you're able to really embody and integrate what you've experienced. And I'll also say Aja is a wonderful teacher of awakening. That's what he talks about. His programs are available on the web. Um, his retreats uh, hold three or 400 people. They're very, very deep, silent retreats. And um, he, he comes from love, and he's very clear. Um, and he's not into being worshipped. He's not taking on a traditional kind of guru role. Um, so he's been a, a wonderful teacher for me. And um, some years ago, uh, he invited me to teach in his lineage, which was a great honor. And, and so is, is he open to incorporating things like breath work, chanting, and visualization, the more active practices that a lot of non-dual teachers kind of poo-poo? <laughs> he doesn't teach those things. He does work somewhat with um, bringing the breath down into the center of the body. And uh, he has a very simple form of meditation he calls true meditation. Um, he doesn't um, argue with whatever anyone else might be doing because people come to him from many different lineages. But I think of him as an end-of-the-road teacher. And it's like if you've been chanting and you've had heart openings and you're you're been in a system for a lot of years, but you still don't feel like you've had an awakening, he's the next step, which is really much more quiet it's not part of, there's a difference between waking up and mystical experience. It, mystical experience is when people have really expansive moments. They might experience light or visions or love or, um, um, you know, many kinds of very high expansive experiences, but they don't last because they're experiences. They come and go. And 
often if we think that that's what enlightenment is, we keep waiting to have the one big experience that won't go away. But it doesn't doesn't work that way because those are phenomena. They're 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 wonderful, but they're experiences. Waking up is much more deep in the body, and it is really a, almost like a remembering of where you came from, of what you are, of your pure consciousness and its its presence uh, in you and in everybody else. And when you wake up, when you have this moment of realization that is deep enough, you just... Um, there's no more searching. There's no more hunger to search. You, you can't even imagine anything that's going to, you know, it might be fun to have another mystical experience, but it, it's, you're no longer, the searcher dies, the seeker collapses in you. Uh, you just feel at home, really at home in yourself and at home in the world. And you may have your old psychological stuff come up. Some, a lot of it will fall away, and your stuff will come up. But there's a part of you that knows that it's not real, that it's just stuff to be dealt with and cleared away. Uh, you're no longer identified with it. Or if you are, it doesn't last very long because you, you have this core inside of you that is at peace. Mm. Yeah, I found in my own experience that the the kind of the stuff of the personality and those things that can actually cause us quite a bit of trouble in our lives um, in relating to others and the way that we talk to ourselves internally, it starts to, it's almost like it becomes like silly in a way. Like it just seems like, like what the Hindus call Leela, like a play. And I don't know. I just started to to see all of that in a much different light. It, mm -hmm. it has far less weight than it used to, and that allows for a, I feel like a greater fluidity. So when the old personality stuff comes up, I more quickly shift out of that, and it passes, um, mm -hmm. like changing weather patterns or something. And it's just kind of like you notice it, and it's like doesn't carry a whole lot of weight. Doesn't uh, leave a lot of residue it just comes and goes a lot easier and i just feel um i feel much more fluid now than i used to mm -hmm. and i'm just wondering if that stuff will ever go away um, or if it's just this new relationship with the stuff of the personality and I'm, I'm kind of okay if it's there and it just feels fluid but it still is a little annoying that um you know i'm not fully enlightened yet <laughs> but my uh, my teacher told me years ago, he said, uh, I was talking to him about a, this non-dual experience I'd had in a retreat that we were having, and um, he said, you know, he felt that I had a proclivity toward the non-dual experience, but he said, don't worry, Brian, you won't be enlightened until you're 47 anyway. <laughs> and I always wonder, you know, I'm like, I'm turning 44 in a couple oh, of weeks, and I'm wondering if that was just um, something he threw out, like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's it's you know down the road. It'll it'll happen, but nothing to worry about. Nothing to try and accelerate or anything like that. Um, or if he had some, um, I don't know, 
some precognition about that or something, you know. <laughs> well, it's possible he did. Uh, you'll know, I guess, in a few years. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know. I'll report back in. Yeah. <laughs> something tells me that's not, I'm not going to be fully done at that point, though. <laughs> well, you know, Aja says that we're never really fully done, that uh, because uh, I, I, I've asked him that, you know, and he says, how, how can we be finished? We're talking about the infinite. And so this awakening, though, you're describing uh, an awakened consciousness when you say that that when you do find yourself a little entangled in your old stuff, um, you're able to observe it without being uh, uh, too upset about it or, or without identifying with it. And often awakening proceeds that way. It's, a, it's gradual. It's, it's sort of like you know inside of yourself at your core that you're absolutely free. You know that um, this life is just a, a dance, a play. You're, you sense it. Uh, even probably Shakespeare was awakened when he said, all the world is a stage. It's, uh, it's that kind of feeling that, okay, I'm going to lean into this right now and see what happens. And uh, that grows in us usually. It is not like all of a sudden it happens and you never backtrack again. Uh, for 99% of people, it's that way. Uh, Eckhart Tolle, he may be an exception. I don't know how he is now, but but uh, when I've met him, um, it's been clear that he's he's has very had very little attachment to anything. And when he had his awakening, it was very sudden, and he just sat on a park bench for two or three years, not able to function. He didn't have any idea what had happened. It's like his whole functioning apparatus just collapsed. That's extremely rare. Not necessarily positive because uh, most of us have lives in which we have obligations like work and raising children and things like that. And um, so it's just um, it's so wonderful to just be patient with it and grateful. Gratitude is so helpful. Just be grat grateful for that clarity that you have and uh, keep going back to that inner peace within you and the unfolding will happen in its right direction and right way because you aren't as you've noticed and mentioned before you're not in charge of it um, but you can cooperate with it by aligning your life um, as much as possible with what you know to be um, the truth the the love, the beauty, the um, pure consciousness that sees things in a much more inclusive way than the little me. So if someone comes to you and they're feeling quite entangled um, by <clears throat> their neuroses, by their personality, by their kind of conditioned reactivity, and they're, and they're quite frustrated by it and they're ready to be done with it, how do you help those people begin the process of awakening? Well, very often, uh, somebody that's had a profound kundalini rising or some moment of um, awakening um, often doesn't recognize what it is. It's very helpful to realize that for example, you've had this real expansive, wild opening, maybe maybe on a psychedelic or maybe 
uh, in a meditation retreat, and then it feels like it closed down. But the the part of you that's awake was that part before the dramatic experience. It was the time when you were completely free of your personal stuff and your thoughts for a few moments. You were just in this openness. And then an event happened. Usually a person who's had a moment like that, they can remember that stillness or emptiness or or presence that was there at some time. And uh, if you ask them to drop down into their bodies and see if they can find a remembrance of that, they can. And that's the core of awakening. Awareness is the core of awakening. The awareness is always here. Awareness is like a portal into the pure consciousness. So awareness before there's a thought about it. So when you're aware, what looks out of your eyes is awareness. What's listening to my voice is awareness. If you can turn that awareness inward, you get curious about what's this awareing I am? Where is it coming from? How do I feel it? And not go to your head with an answer, but really tune into being awareness. That's a tremendous portal because the awareness is the activity of the pure consciousness. Awareness has no boundary. You discover that in deep meditation. Awareness can expand and, and hear sounds quite a long distance or see deep into the sky or feel your toe wiggling or listen to your thoughts or your feelings. Getting curious about awareness is a wonderful uh, portal into the awakened self. Uh, so those are some of the things we might talk about. If a person's very entangled and they really are unhappy, uh, they may need to get some therapy. There may be they never really worked out their childhood abuse. And uh, it's coming up. It might even be unconscious, and it's just coming up like pain and energy and emotion because it happened before they were at the age of language. Uh, they may need to do some releasing either with energy work or uh, some kind of supportive counseling uh, to untangle themselves from some really stubborn condition that's troubling them. But mainly, we need to be patient with our humanness, too. The more you learn to care and have compassion for yourself, and when you're caught in anything, is uh, the more you're going to learn compassion in the world. And part of awakening is allowing this compassion that wants to come through spontaneously uh, to arise. So that's an important aspect too. There's so many different factors. Yeah. Yeah, I think too that even the recognition of our suffering is perhaps the beginning of that awakening process because there must be something within us that recognizes that things aren't as they could be. Um, and, and if we inquire into where that comes from, um, that desire for feeling more free of all this kind of personality stuff, that that itself is like the seed of awakening right there. Mm -hmm. Like when yes. people, people come to my yoga class, I'll sometimes say, 
there's a reason why you came to a yoga class and not to an aerobics class. Mm-hmm. Like even if you think you came here to get in better shape, there's something else that led you here. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. Just to like even raise that with people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. You know, the you're absolutely right. The longing. Also, if you're someone that longs for enlightenment or awakening or truth, longing for truth, um, that which is longing, it comes from the source. It comes from the awakened self. So if you can even uh, meditate in such a way that you just silently tune into that longing and follow it like a thread back to the source, find out where it's, it's not a thought. It's coming from deep, deep within you. Uh, it, it can lead you right back into the realization of your true nature. Mm, I love that. I think that's a great place to end our conversation. And um, I want to thank you for spending time with me and uh, helping me untangle some of my own ideas around Kundalini and where it crosses over psychology and all of these things. I think you've uh, helped bring some clarity for me. So I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm glad that uh, you've given me the opportunity to share. Yeah. And I can't, yeah, I I haven't had a chance to uh, fully read your book yet, but uh, I'm really looking forward to digging into it. I can tell there's a lot of uh, really clear and practical advice here that feels very grounded to me in in psychology, but also open to uh, greater possibilities in life. So I really appreciate you holding the the full spectrum in the work that you do. Thank you very much, Brian. Okay. Well, take care, Bonnie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 